top 100 update time. It's the final update for just baseball. It's the call up. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about some of the newcomers on today's episode. And it's going to be a top 100 themed week since it's roughly, I would say, majority of the same names on the list. We're not going to do the complete like 10 by 10 by 10 by 10 or however we usually break it up. But we are going to do some fun things throughout the week, Jack, that I'm really excited about. This episode is going to be geared around the newcomers, which there's enough for a full episode about that and discussing that. Then the next episode we're going to do, which will probably be on Wednesday, we'll be doing something along the lines of biggest climbers and superlatives. Those superlatives being maybe the best tools, some of the standouts in certain unique ways. That'll be a really fun episode. Almost think about it as uh, similar to like a MILB awards episode. And then on Friday, Jack, we're going to wrap it up with the top 10 prospects in the game. I'm excited about this approach. And, you know, depending on how it goes and, and how we think we might start tweaking to to do that with certain ways we break down new lists, but that's TBD. Please let us know, you know, in YouTube, on Twitter, whatever, how you like us breaking it down this time around. And uh, this should be a fun week for us. Editorial thought uh, before next regular season starts before next minor league season starts, obviously we're going to have the first top 100 for 2024. I think maybe then we go kind of groups of 15 um, and then you settle for the top 10 at the tail end. But then the mid season update, we do it like this and the end of season update, we do it like this. I feel like that could make some sense. Yep. Um, I'm really excited. And here's the thing about these lists Obviously, you want to be right and you want to be perfect every time, but it's malleable. Like all these lists are malleable. They're not supposed to be perfect because if you were shooting to be perfect, you just put the complex guys in the top 10 and hope it ages well. (laughs) But like, that's the thing. Stats matter. The games matter. And I love that the last two months of the season really mattered because you had guys that got their first taste of affiliated baseball that you know, broke onto this top 100 list. You've got guys that came stateside. Hell, you've got guys that didn't come stateside yeah. that are on this list. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a couple of those, which I'm excited to break down. But yeah, it's a good point, Jack, before we jump into it. It's one of those things where you know, when we did the midseason update, it, it came out a little bit after the midseason point, but most of the write-ups were geared, you know, and based on that. And there was a lot of new draft guys that we didn't have a ton of of data on. There were complex league guys that got the bump up to low A that we didn't have a, a ton of data or info or video on. Uh, and then just guys in general that had made adjustments or got sent up to the upper levels. And you know now we have 100 and 150 at-bats or plate appearances of them at more challenging levels to refer to for better and for worse. So there was a lot of just... I think being able to gather more video, more info, more data, and and be able to confidently maybe rank some of these lower level guys who I just didn't have enough on in the midseason update. And I think that's the trend. And it's not just lower level guys. It's it's guys that, you know, maybe I was right on the fence on, like a Drew Thorpe, who we'll talk about at the upper levels that I just needed a little bit more because Thorpe was in high A. You know, we didn't see him at double A until after the midseason update. And then we saw the stuff continue to translate. That was a fun dive I'm excited to get into. But that's kind of the case with a couple of the guys that we're going to discuss here. So we'll go in order, I guess, and and go from, you know, where they are ranked on the top 100 list. Of course, as always, the the full article and write-ups and everything is linked in the episode description. And 
it's always free. No paywall there. So go check that out. Go click through and read everything you want to read there. And of course, finally, the table is interactive. It's it's fun and a lot of you know underlying data and stuff baked into there. So you want to walk us through each each number. And then, you know, I, I think if there's we we talked about all these rankings together, but if there's certain questions like that you feel like are just come to mind with, I think that's a great way to do it too. And we can yeah. kind of just have a conversation about each of these guys. Yeah. In terms of the use and the kind of presentation of the list, the only thing that it's missing that kind of pisses me off is the lack of PowerPoint wipe transitions. I wish <laughs> you had some fizzle or wipe or something like, like that. Like each name, when you scroll to another one, it just wipes away to a new one. Yeah. I think that we'll would be great. That. But like it needs to be corny because if it looks good, then like that's defeating the purpose. I want like the sound effect bang and then that goes away and then the next guy pops up. We're going to go. Yeah, thank you. We're going to go 100 to one. So we're working. Do you consider that lowest to highest or highest to lowest? Say lowest to highest. That always breaks my brain, though. Yeah. I guess it's technically highest to lowest. I would say highest to lowest in my head. That's the way highest to lowest, but low is a good thing. We're playing. Yeah, golf. Uh, um, no, the, 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 don't break my brain before we get into like zone contact and stuff, please. For sure. Um, so number 100 is Gavin Stone. He's been on this list. He's got his big league belt. He's got, you know, his big league debut under his belt. Number 99 is Ramon Ramirez, who is a complex catcher with the Kansas City Royals. So my first question to you is, Aram, who is Ramon Ramirez? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Ramon Ramirez is somebody that this is one that could go one way or another. Right. And and it's one of those where you throw him in the back end of the top 100, because genuinely, if I'm working on a deal, and that's the thing I really want to like make clear to, to people is that it's really supposed to be based on on trade value. I want it to almost be a, a source for fans that way where you wouldn't trade prospect number 76 for prospect number 75, because or at least whoever has prospect number 75 wouldn't trade that, that guy for number 76. Like it's, that's how I want it to kind of be, be portrayed. And Ramon Ramirez, super raw. Obviously we have not seen a ton. I was able to get a fair amount of info and video, which helped me a ton. Um, And that might be part of the reason why he's elevated above, um, above some other complex guys, but just everything I was able to see was really impressive. Only a 50, 7,000 internet, sorry, $57,000 international free agent uh, back in the 2023 class. So legitimately eight months ago he signed, but it's such an impressive blend of defensive ability. And also, you know, the the bat is, is very advanced. He reminds me a lot of, of a lot of the things I liked about Jefferson Caro, where I think he's going to be a good defender behind the dish. I think he's going to be an above average hitter and there's above average power potentially here as well. And the Royals, you can say what you want about Kansas city. The one thing that they've been able to do is identify and develop catchers. And this is a swing that there's some moving parts to it in terms of the lower half, but his hands don't move much. He uses this big gathering leg kick that he times up consistently and gets off powerful swings. We were able to get 41 games of DSL data there, ran his own contact rate at 90%, ran exit velocities as high as 108. Remember, this is a kid that I think still isn't 18 years old yet, or did he just turn 18? Uh, uh, it, he's 18, born June 15th, 2005. Yeah, that hurts, man. That absolutely hurts. But what really broke through for me was watching that swing, how easily he was able to repeat those moves, uh, the the ability to just get to tough pitches. And then on the defensive side, good arm, 
already a good receiver. The blocking could use a little bit of work. I think like a lot of teenage catchers got a little lazy at times from what I saw, but you could definitely see tools that point towards a, a guy being able to be a really well-rounded catcher. And then I take DSL stats with a grain of salt, but you look at the numbers. I mean, they were, they were pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, the thing that jumped out to me, I guess, looking at the numbers is how often this guy put the ball in the air. He yes. really didn't put the ball on the ground at 18 years old. That's super commendable. The other thing, if you put a teenager on this list and they strike out more than they walk, I throw it away. They have to walk more than they strike out yeah. at the complex. And guess what? He fits the criteria. He yeah. walks more than he strikes out. Um, the guys that dominate at the complex are the ones that are so comfortable in their approach. They're patient. And when they do get that pitch, which maybe once a game, they hammer it. And it yeah. seems like this kind of guy. And that was the thing that stood out to me is when I see these moving parts, there's, I'm glad you mentioned the fly balls. A lot of times when you have a big leg kick and, and some inconsistent timing, you're going to struggle to hit the ball in the air with consistency. That has not been a problem for him. And then I watched him turn around 98 up and in. I watched him hit breaking balls the other way. So it just seems like he's got a really good feel for his swing already. And you mentioned the approach, you mentioned everything else. This is a guy that's probably going to get challenged next year, get a chance at low A maybe to start the season, or they might do a quick complex, you know, stop and then go to low A. I yeah. think he's going to get a lot of helium and start rolling pretty quickly. People are going to start jumping on the bandwagon here. And again, the Royals, one thing they can do is develop catching. For me, he's already better than Blake Mitchell, who they just took in the first round. That's why he's Whoa. ranked ahead of him. Okay. Um, who do you think wins the race to the big leagues? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm going to go Ramirez. Because he is 18 and yeah. Mitchell's what, 19? 18, 19. Yeah, my just for 19. I just okay. think he's more polished. All right. Fair. Um, okay. Jumping a little bit higher in the mid 90s, Thomas Sejaci with uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Now he was a Texas Ranger. This guy in the last two months forced his way onto the top 100. <laughs> and it's not often that a guy's stats, like his counting numbers, force you onto a top 100 list, but this is probably one of the rare cases where they did. I think that's the best way to put it, man. I Did you get a, remind me, did you get an in-person look at Sajazi at the end of the year? No. You missed him. You didn't time up, right? No, we didn't uh, time up. I'm I'm excited to, for you to see him next year. I assume you'll, you'll overlap at some point in AAA. Uh, but what's amazing with him is I think you put it perfectly. There were some red flags for me. There's a high chase rate. Uh, just overall, just a really aggressive swinger struggled at, at the early going at points a little bit with, with breaking balls and then really started to rectify that. There's some questions of where he's going to play defensively. I thought got a little bit better in that regard, but all of those things kind of pointed towards you better rake. And he just did that. Nothing jumps off the page from a data standpoint. So that's another reason why like there's guys that overperform or outperform those underlying data thresholds that we like to highlight but I got to see a lot of it. I got to watch a lot of video and I got to feel really confident about it. And so Jay-Z also just trended in the right direction. He cut his chase rate down significantly from last year and then cut it down more and more as the season went on. By the time he got to AAA, he really leaned into the ABS and, you know, leveraged that in his favor. His contact rates got better and better and better. And that's the other thing is you're looking at a guy that's running above average contact rates. Just don't chase as much. If he continues to cut that chase rate down, I think those contact rates could be borderline plus. And then the exit velocities, they're just above average. It's a tick above average. But again, 
a guy that does some things that may not show up in the data lifts the ball consistently that will show up, but the way that the ball carries is extremely notable. Yes. He hit in some hitter friendly environments, but watching the video from open side and then from behind, and then just being able to get whatever I could get. This is a guy that just develops and generates easy backspin. The ball carries. So yeah, it's in the Texas league, but to me, this is a ball that off of his bat's going to carry in a lot of different environments. And we started to see that a little bit at the end of the year. And that's what stands out to me. You have above average contact rates. You have slightly above average exit velocities. You have a guy that gets into the power by hitting it in the air consistently and just such a simple swing. Yes, he's got the leg kick, but similar to Ramirez, times it up well, starts it early. His hands work extremely well. He just continues to trend in the right direction. 26 home runs is 26 home runs. I I don't care if it's the Texas League. Uh, This guy can swing it, man. And at second base, he'll be fine. Think so. Um, I am gonna do like the, the frowned upon thing and cite batting average, but this guy, like batting average is a calling card. It, it's what happens. And I'll cite OPS too. In April with Frisco, 20 games, he had a 665 OPS. It wasn't great. It was not a good start to the year. But then May comes around. 25 games, he hit 347 with an 890 OPS. Then June comes around, 25 games, hit 310, but started to tap in the power as the weather warmed up. And he had a 970 OPS. July, he went nuts in Frisco, 345 OPS over 1,000. August, his first month with the Cardinals, this guy hit 352 with 9 plus 5 is 14 plus 3 is 17 extra base hits in 27 games, 26 ribbies, walked 14 times. He slashed 352, 426, 714. It's an 1140 OPS in his first month in New Digs. Same league, but New Digs. And then he goes to Memphis. He struggles a bit, but man, like. He's 21 too. Don't care. Yeah, 21-year-old in AAA. He's Mason Wynn's age, by the way. Very underratedly 21 and still was seeing some action at short. I I think that's an emergency and a pinch type, type of thing, but the fact that he's still even able to play there in a pinch, like shows you the, the confidence they have in him, but he's just a big instincts guy too. It's just a player that is always going to outperform the data and the underlying things. And trust me, he, he had to force his way on to your point, And he did. So uh, I think it's just too hard to not deny the results from Sajazi and he's trending in the right direction. And he's still just 21 years old. I'm excited to see, you know, full season in triple A from him next year, where I, I think he's going to settle in and, start to really improve that approach. And we could see him turn into a really nice piece. Yeah. So Kevin McGonigal with the Detroit Tigers is the next guy to debut on this list. And McGonigal checks in at 94 and McGonigal is a guy that, you know, I got to watch a little bit on the draft because he was like a, you know, top 15 caliber type pick. He got over slot, but competitive balance round a just after the conclusion of yeah. the first round. Yeah. He got what? Two and a half mil from he the got two eight. He got two eight. Okay, that that's a steep over slot pay yeah. for McGonagall. He always kind of looked like the best player on the travel team you were afraid of yes. growing up, and that I think is exactly who he is, and he's showing that in low A. And a lot of those guys don't necessarily show it in low A, but he is. I mean, he was that for Team USA, and then he was that in low A as you know they he hit the ground running, and it's you know every development's not linear. No one's saying he's better than Max Clark, but he was more prepared for low A competition than Max Clark. The swing is a little bit further along. The approach is further along. 
we have a 24 game sample between the complex and low A and the data I really took with a grain of salt because it was really the video and the swings and conversations I had with, with a couple of people that actually had seen him uh, from a scouting perspective and just people that have played against him uh, that were really impressed. And I was able to pull some specific at bats where, you know, I went and watched him against Noble Meyer and against Noble Meyer. I mean, this is a left-handed hitting infielder, uh, just spoiling 95, spoiling 97 and driving a ball, you know, the other way and then turning on, you know, mid nineties, uh, you know, to, to right field. Then the next game, he gets Thomas white, the Marlins, other first rounder left on left matchup crushes one over hundred miles an hour off of him too. And it's just like, wow, comfortable, comfortable. And then after that, he gets through the ringer, Archie Bradley on rehab gets him first at bat. He makes an adjustment and it puts together a really good at bat and lines another hundred mile an hour single. Like it, it was really impressive for me. I rarely saw him take two bad swings in a row. And then it, it was backed in the small sample size data, which is, you know, 90% zone contact in 24 games, 12 and a half percent chase rate. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. And the other thing is he just, he's in his legs already. It's super simple. And he just gets in there, stays there. And his hands work extraordinarily well. He can get to pitches in all different types of places. He already hit an oppo. He was only one home run. Guess what? It was oppo in the Florida State League. Like there's above average or at least average juice in there. I I just think the floor is so high. And then what really separated him in terms of, okay, this is a top 100 guy. The glove is better than he gets credit for. I think he could be a phenomenal second baseman, but I was watching it short. You know, he's not a plus runner. So there were some questions. Can he stay there? His instincts are great. His feet work great. His arm's good enough. And he makes throws from all different angles. I think he can play shortstop or at least deserves a look there. That, that's a versatile infielder with a plus hit tool that I think could be plus plus an average power elite approach. It's similar to Cole Young. And if I'm going to be as bullish on Cole Young, obviously Young has more power. I think there's a lot to like with McGonagall. And that's why he got, you know, as you mentioned, top 25 pick money. I need a better template because this guy got DFA'd and non-tendered, but Luis Arias coming into this year, I thought was a good template of a guy that can play second base, can play a serviceable shortstop, and then can play a, a pretty good third base. And Mundo Sosa, I think he's probably the other template. But he's like um, a lead at short kind of. He's like explosive. So Yeah, like I wish elite. I had a better one, but he seems like a guy that can play a good second base, but passable on the left side at either spot. Exactly. Yeah, I, that's a great that's a great point. I don't know if there's you, know, you could talk about like John Birdie, but it's just such a different player. Um, yeah. There's not that many guys that are like in that mold. And I do think that there's going to be a lot more interest in those type of guys, because look, look at the Orioles, for example, you know, you're drafting. You want to draft guys that can play the middle infield and hit. And if you all of a sudden have way too many of those guys, you can never have too many. Uh, you want to be able to mix and match and, and be able to stick guys in different spots and uh, be able to find spots for them in the lineup. And and that's exactly what the versatility offers you. Which is what upped Gunnar Henderson's value so much. He 100%. could play third base when there was no spot for him at shortstop because Mateo was playing. And Westberg. How about Westberg? Mm-hmm. I, that might be a similar, honest, honestly, option because he's very fine at shortstop, but he's Really good at third, really good at second. Last thing I'll mention here is, yes, we're and we'll talk about it when we talk about the top 10 prospects in baseball. It's a mistake to pass on Wyatt Langford. Of course it is. Uh, and and we're not going to talk about that anymore. The last only reason why I'm bringing it up through the Tigers lens is actually through a positive angle here, which is if you're going to, you know, cite savings here and, and try to allocate those elsewhere, I thought they did it really well to go get a McGonagall, right? They had to go half a million over slot. And they're not going to be able to save any money if they would have drafted Langford there. They use those savings. I assume they fell in love with McGonagall. Because, I, I, again, I heard from some people that 
had a can't miss top 20 pick grade on him. So I think they fell in love with McGonagall and they got him. And you know what? That's a pretty solid consolation prize, given that he already looks the part. And I think he's going to climb quick. This is how you play chess in the draft. And I think that Scott Harris did a really good job playing chess in the draft this year. Um, And I, I guess it's just an immediate head scratcher. Like, Hey, you know, why not Langford here? But it feels like it always comes around to make sense yeah. for good execs. Whether you're like at the end of the day, a hundred percent better or not, like you can make sense of it. That's all I would really ask for as a fan is can I make sense of your rationale? And I think and you can. this makes a ton of sense. And you got two top 100 guys instead of one, you know, top 100 guy. So you yeah, top 10. Feel these. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but top yeah, five. No, point, stands. Like, point stands, yeah, stands, point stands. Um, one last question before we move to the next guy. Why is Archie Bradley seeing more than nine hitters? Why is he getting a second time around the lineup on rehab? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? So honestly, going through the video, I think it was another outing, like the day or two later. Like, I think they wanted him going like a couple days. Yeah. Because that's a great question. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, few and far between are the reps that you get against top flight arms when you're a high school draftee. But the fact that he performed so well on Team USA, I'm sure helped you bump him into the top 100. Oh, 100 percent. And I was able to go get some of that video. It was it was impressive stuff. Yeah. Miguel Blyce with the Boston Red Sox is back on the list at 93. He's not technically a newcomer. He's not debuting on this list, but he is back on. And he did nothing to. No, he's been hurt. Back yeah. on. He's been hurt. Um, but he stayed in place while so many guys graduated. And that's probably why he's back on this list. That's basically it. And, you know, just I, I went back and and watched some more from before he was hurt and was like, you know, why did I, why was I so excited about him? Like it's easy to forget about those things uh when somebody's out for the whole year. And it, it it's just the upside is so immense, Jack. It's plus power, plus speed and in, in center field and like and and we saw some flashes of that at the lower levels. They boil down to there's not a hundred prospects I'm taking over Miguel Blyce right now in, in a trade or in in some sort of expansion draft. And that's really what it boiled down to for me is like the, the this guy's too talented for a hundred guys to be ahead of him. So he's got time for a slow climb. He's only 19 years old, but just a yes or no question. And like, hey. Yes, could mean a variety of different things. Do you think it's going to be a slow climb for Blyce? Because he'll probably be back healthy in low A next year. Could we see low A in 24, high A in 25, double in 26, and that he's knocking on the door in 27? I'm going to say yes, slow climb, but a little bit quicker than that. Okay. I think he gets to high A next year. Um, You know, I think the defense... Gives them some confidence to push him a little bit. And I think just what we've seen now with these prospects, like they, they almost don't want him in low A too long at this point. They'd almost rather let them struggle a bit in high A with a little bit better competition and you know, a little bit better command. But, you know, that shoulder issue is sometimes weird to come back from. He's lucky it happened at the beginning of the year. I'm sure he'll be fully ramped up, but it might take a little time to shake the rust off. And that's kind of my concern. I wonder if he's going to play some winter ball or things like that. It might be good for him. Uh, but, I hope he does so I can check in on that. That'll be fun. 100%. Um, All right. Next guy is Jace Young with the Detroit Tigers, who is on the list at 90. How does the swing work? That's my question, because it's 
upright and angled and then somehow he gets into a decent spot but it's like it's rod carew meets craig council it's and the barrels just pointing sky high it's bizarre so like my question is how it's so funny dude because you know how i always love to in the write-ups to try to describe what you know what i see in the video just so people can understand where where i'm coming from and then try to marry it all with with data and and, and kind of create a full picture here I, I sat here at my desk, legitimately imitating what Jace Young does, trying to figure out the adjectives to describe it. And the best I could say was like wrist cocked, but I don't even know if that would technically be like a cocked wrist because it's I, technically like angled outward. It's the opposite almost. I, I, I couldn't figure out what the exact word is. And also it's, it's adjacent to a golf grip, similar to almost what you see with Nolan Jones, because if you look at his, his bottom finger, pointer finger, it's up over his top hand. So what he's trying to do here from what I understand, and like this is something I talk a lot about hitter about with hitters is they want that barrel to enter the zone as early as possible. And they really want to feel like they are like snapping the barrel behind them. And it then it enters the zone, you know, right on plane and super early. And most guys, they get slotted and then get that snap feeling. Jace Young, I think for him, he found it like, hey, why don't I just start my bat basically there? You see his load. He doesn't really move his hands much at all. Like I would have been worried if he tipped the barrel back over, you know, because yeah. then it's a big move to get back flat again. He doesn't. He starts diagonal and then just goes straight to flat. So that is a really easy move if you're comfortable with it. And his lower half, he starts with his back leg, his back knee almost angled to the catcher so that he's already in that backside, doesn't have to worry about leaving it. And he pretty much puts himself in, in a hitting position before he even starts. And then it's simple move and go. That's why it's not surprising to me that he hits a lot of fly balls and that he consistently is running like a 35, 37% ground ball rate. Exit velocities are just above average, but because of that angle he creates, the leverage he creates, He's able to hit the ball in the air with consistency and backspin. It's probably going to be an average hit tool at best, but above average game power that he seems to get into. He walks a ton, walks a ton. And I thought the defense was actually not as bad. He gets a lot of, a, a lot of flack for the defense. I thought he moved a lot better than, you know, like Keith, for example, I, I thought he was better. So He's a top 100 guy, but another guy that really had to force his way on. Cause I had some reservations about, you know, whether he was going to hit enough. I, he he turns my brain into mashed potatoes because how do you have power when you do that? I the way that I kind of think of it is okay if you or me were to get in the box or just hop in a cage and try to hit soft toss like that, we're not going to hit the ball as hard as what we would if we like you know did our our yeah. natural movement that we learned when we were like ten years old. So my mind went to. Okay, this guy gets power because he probably works really hard in the weight room. He's probably a physical specimen he's strong. And, he, and he turns that simplicity into power because he's so strong. Yeah. So yeah. this isn't like a swing that's geared for a ton of juice, but it's probably the, the kind of swing that will result in balls going five feet over any fence he plays at. And backspin again, like that's the theme here. When you have that angle, you're you're going to just lift and carry. And I'm I'm with you. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, what was it? 20, 28 homers? I, 28 homers. I have no idea how that guy 20. flirts with 30 with that swing, but I love that he does. And 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile to your point. So, I mean, that's fine. That's more than enough. 
but you got to hit it in the air consistently. That's exactly what he did. And hedges again with the walk. I'm in like, I'm, I'm excited to see what this looks like in triple a. And then my only concern is like, how does that play at Comerica? Is he going to kind of have a little bit of that like Torkelson issue where it just so, so many hunting. balls seem to die at the track or just don't quite get out. And everyone points to bad, batted ball luck, but I, th- I think he'll be okay. Yeah, I think so. And he may hit a bunch of doubles because it looks yeah. like Josh is going to hit a bunch of doubles at Globe Life. So yep. might as well have little bro do that too. Stacked pitchers are newcomers at 87 and 88. We start at 88 and it's Bubba Chandler, right-hander with the Pittsburgh Pirates. This guy finished so strong and his fastball maintained in the mid to high 90s. Changeup is disgusting. He can play, and the best thing that that guy did for his career, it seems, is getting the stick out of his hands. Yeah, right. I mean, just being able to focus on on pitching, not only just get the stick out. I mean, as an amateur, was playing football. He was a quarterback, right? Wasn't he? Yeah, opportunity to play Clemson. He was going to play both at Clemson. Yeah. So He's probably a better option than Klubnik right now, I will say. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that one. I would love to see how that how that would look. I wonder if he's thinking about that. But it, it, what stood out to me, we talked about him. I know you were really excited about him just being that, you know, you're you're tied into the Pirates org. And when the guys when the guy's trending well, like you you feel the buzz. And uh, yeah. you, you kind of like encourage me to dive back in and watch a little bit longer and watch some more starts. And I also realized that hey, you can speak to this. Some of the areas where they have to pitch at the lower level, especially in the Pirates org, like it's not fair, especially if you're a high. I mean, fair. That's probably the wrong term. It's fair. It's baseball. Deal with it. But it's it's a little bit of, uh, I think, a challenge because you can be a fly ball pitcher and that does not work in your favor. Right. Is that in high A where they really get burned in that regard? Greensboro. And that's where Bubba was for the overwhelming majority of this year. I think he made one start in double A, but he was in Greensboro for the majority of the season. I think all but one or two starts, which he made in Altoona. But yeah, I I was talking to Jared Jones about Greensboro because that's where he was all of 2022. And Jones, he said, go look it up if you can. I think there was a homer hit 87 miles an hour off of him. Yeah. And, yeah, and we think, found it. I think it was 88, 89. But it was like, 89, I think. Yeah, which is I, that's the worst I've seen. That shouldn't get out at any ballpark, but that's Greensboro. It's it's a bandbox. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm looking at when I see, you know, a Bubba Chandler who I just feel like he's going to be able to keep the ball in the yard a little bit better. 4% home run rate at home, 2% home run rate on the road. So, I mean, he's literally twice, you know, double the home run rate. Uh, when, when he's at home dealing with that. And then we saw him close out the year and double dude with five innings, a shutout ball, no walks, eight K's. The fastball shape is impressive. The the life just, it just really takes off out of his hand. Then to have the changeup working off of that, as you mentioned, like I love when your best out pitch is a, is a changeup and your fastball is a high carry pitch and his is a high carry one. And the cutters a work in progress. It's like a cutter slider. I'd love to see him you know, continue to develop that. But if he can even get that to, above average or average in the fastball change up with the spin to work off of that. You got a solid middle of the rotation type arm here, just turned 21 still extremely raw in terms of focusing on pitching. I think there's a lot more in the tank and I'd like to see them kind of teach him more of a sweepy breaking ball. And I'm kind of banking on him being able to figure that out given how athletic he is and how easily he's developed over time here. Can I also say it seems like the pirates have a type 
Skeens was a two-way guy. He elevates his stock drastically when he scraps the bat. Bubba Chandler, two-way guy, elevates his stock noticeably when he scraps the bat. Jared Jones was going to play both ways at Texas. He was a power-hitting corner outfielder. Now he's an awesome pitcher. Quinn Priester was a hell of a high school football player. He was a D1 caliber football player. They like athletes on the hill. And it's so clear that those guys are working out for them. Yeah, 100%. And even like going out and targeting uh, Tanaj Thomas hasn't worked out the way I thought it would, but that was a converted infielder that they ID'd and they wanted in that org as well. I'm with you. They, They seem to have that type. They totally have that type. And like, you know, Mitch Keller, that guy did absolutely everything under the sun in Iowa because that's what you have to do if you're a good athlete in the state of Iowa. It's, hey, go play everything and win us a state championship. <laughs> um, next one is Haido Iriarte with the San Diego Padres. 21-year-old in double-A right-hander has some shit. <laughs> he's got the goods, man. Man, he's got some crazy stuff. This was probably one of my favorite dives. I yeah, He was on my radar. We've talked about him several times. But just really going in and just watching the starts pitch to pitch to pitch to pitch. It's like this guy's biggest challenge is going to be himself. It's going to be the command. But it's a 95 to 97 mile an hour fastball that frequently he got over 20 inches of IVB. And the release point, a vertical attack angle of negative 4-2, that's going to be in the top 5-10% of Major League Baseball in terms of you know, just releasing that fastball from a low point where it looks like it's taking off at six foot five to be able to do that is extremely impressive. So, I mean, that fastball plays up already huge in zone whiff numbers again, because it's upper nineties and then low release point, high carry that pitch alone, I think is enough to allow him. He could probably throw fastballs predominantly and, and get a lot of outs, but then he's got the slider off of that, which is disgusting. And that pitch was just unhittable for guys throughout the year. He held opponents to a 150 batting average and, and then mixing in the changeup. That changeup flashed above average and looks like a really solid pitch, too. There was points, and I think there's evaluators who over the last year have liked the changeup more than the slider. Now, the slider really took over. He was locating it more and and all of a sudden just seemed to have all of the confidence in the world using it against lefties and righties, but now has that changeup as well. I mean, he's got different ways that he can attack hitters from both sides of the plate. The slider is really good against lefties, so it takes off the fastball change-up kind of rhythm. Uh, and I think this guy's going to be really good if he can just even have fringy command. Pairs it all with a pretty good ground ball rate that he gets on the change-up. Being able to elevate, go down, go east-west, he can kind of get you at all four quadrants. And the stuff's crazy. So I'm excited about this dude. So it's not easy for me to buy into guys that beat themselves often. And it's, you know, kind of the DL Hall cloth where the biggest competition is himself. And Hall is obviously coming into his own as a reliever. Matt Brash coming into his own as a reliever. Does this guy have more reliever risk than anybody else in the top 100? Ooh, that is a great question. That is a great question. And this isn't a superlative. I'm not going to hold it for Wednesday because it's like a, a no, I, I don't want bad superlatives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like an oxymoron, right? Um, right. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Because Tiedemann, the command's just better by a fair margin. It's been more injury related. And I'm not going to try to speculate on who's more likely to be so injured during a bullpen. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I would say yes. 
And the the part that really put him over the top still for me was like, if that does happen, I do think he's cut from the same cloth as Hall and Brash, who have turned into, as you mentioned, really good relievers. What I what I liked about him though is it's not just here's an insane fastball and here's one insane off speed or secondary pitch. Yeah. I mean, I watched this guy when he was on working change up early in the count to lefties so that he can then go to the slider later in the count and just can just, just pretty much put them in a pretzel. I also saw a guy that when he didn't have it go fastball 65% of the time and get whiffs. So I just feel like there's different ways where he can maneuver and be able to go through lineups, at least turn a lineup around, you know, at least one or two times and be able to be a, a five and dive guy, worst case scenario before he goes to the, the bullpen. But I still have belief that he's going to be good in the command department. It is worth noting he signed for $75,000 in 2018. He was like six, one at the time he's thrown four inches since then. So probably still getting used to, uh, you know, the longer limbs and all that good stuff, but it'll be fun to watch next year. See, my thought was he probably has the handle of a guard, but he can play four, right? Like Anthony Davis. That's what made him so. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the unfortunate thing is in basketball. It's like a blessing. I think in baseball, if you're a hitter, it can be a blessing sometimes, but sometimes not. It's more of like you probably get able to hit. You put the strength on, then you're good. But if you grow like, yeah, it's not like the AD basketball thing. You're usually uh, you got to relearn everything. You yeah, you got to relearn how, how to maneuver a little bit better. Yeah, um, this guy's got to be new at 86. Michael Bush with the Dodgers. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he Is was new in 2018. Yeah, he's got to be the most appeared on the list of all time. I, I think I, I think Rokio's probably up there, too. Andy Pajes will be there soon enough, too. Yvonne Herrera. Um, but the new guy is Drew Thorpe at 78, right-hander for the New York Yankees. And this is a guy whose stats probably keyed you in and they opened the door for you to dive deeper and you came out very happy with what you found. I didn't think this stuff would be this good. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I have the data. I've watched some spurts in the lower levels. It was a lot of fastball change up and fastball change up guys when their fastball is fringy, you know, they'll take care of lower level competition, especially if you're a college dude. But then you get up to double, man, and usually it gets a little bit more difficult. It's I think pick one and I'm going to hammer it. Yeah. yeah. And that's usually what happens. And what stood out to me with Thorpe was this guy's got an assortment of pitches. I actually struggled to to like label all of them. And, and I had to almost make an overarching breaking ball or like slider grade and separate that from the cutter because there's two variations of the slider that are different from the cutter. So there's a cutter that's just purely a cutter. And then there's a slider that's more of a sweeper. And then there's a slider that's more traditionally a slider. I would have thought they were the same pitch, but they're so different in shape and about three, four miles per hour different. So he's really got a fastball. He's got, we'll talk superlatives, a 70 grade changeup. Then he has a sweepy slider, a regular-ish slider, and then a cutter. And that was what was remarkable to me. And I was watching these starts and I'm like, these are definitely two different iterations of a slider. I think some of them would get like labeled as a curve, depending on what, you know, backend source you're looking at. And to that point, it was like, that's not a curve. So I think it was like the system didn't know what to do. Cause it's like, we already have a cutter and a slider. So what is this pitch going to be? And I, it, it got labeled as, as something else. But what stood out to me is this changeup is good enough. That's a big league plus plus pitch right now. And I mean, it is, 
it is remarkable how good it is because the fastball is 92, 93, you know, and, and that's a tick up from where he was before. And that's just good enough. And it's got good enough shape, but the changeup looks like his fastball to a T. And I, now I understand the Bugs Bunny reference because like I, I, you hear that all the time, but the Bugs Bunny changeup, it's like where it almost stops in midair. And that's what Thorpe's does. It just looks like in the last 15 feet, it goes in slow motion. And, and that is just incredible. I, I have not really seen a changeup that does that in terms of how hard it is to pick up. It's a short arm release point over the top. And then at the last 15 feet, somehow just kind of gravity takes over. It slows down and fades. Those two pitches alone, you know, working the, the changeup off of the fastball is crazy to me. Opponents hit a buck 20 against the changeup this year. And then again, being able to mix in those three different breaking balls slash like spin with the yeah. sweeper, the slider, and then that cutter. I mean, that's that's a really tough guy to game plan for. He's giving you five different looks and one of them is elite. And the two iterations of of the slider, opponents hit below the Mendoza line against that too. So, I mean, there's a lot to like here. And I think he's going to be able to just keep hitters off balance to the point of which he's could be a number three type starter. I love it. Um, yeah, the, the way that I kind of see his changeup is, yes, Bugs Money, but also it's the arm path is so unique. It's almost like you've got the weird kid in blitz ball that is throwing a pitch and you're like, what was that demonic movement? Because yeah. it's not it's not like that crazy slider that slides a billion feet when you're playing wiffle ball. It's just something that like kind of knuckles on you, but it's one knuckle and it just dives low and away. I, we were texting the other night and it's these conversations always happen at night. They never happen at 11 a.m. on a weekday. Um, but it's, you know, like the West Coast changeup is so a thing and it's different than any other changeup you're going to see. Like other changeups, you emphasize separation and it could have a little bit of dive. Like this changeup actually has some sort of like screwball tendency. Yeah. And you only get that from California kids and West Coast kids. Yeah, and, and you have no idea it's coming. Like for you, to your point from the release point, it just doesn't it doesn't look like a change up until the last 15 feet. And yeah, there's something about these Cali kids uh, that did get picked in the second, third round. Like they talk about Tanner Bybee. If Drew Thorpe has one more tick up, and I think he can, he's 6'3", 205. And, and the Yankees have done a good job of being able to help guys tick up multiple times. Tanner Bybee, similar situation, saw two ticks. Uh, oh, maybe a third tick up. If Thorpe has another tick up, he could turn into one of the better pitching prospects in the entire game. I love it. Next guy is a step above him. Jacob Milton with the Houston Astros. And he was the one that they ID'd to hold on to. Um, they moved two others. They moved Clifford and they moved Drew Gilbert. Yeah. But Melton is the guy that stayed second round pick out of Oregon state last year. And you feel like they made a pretty good decision to keep him. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think it was one of those where the Mets probably preferred Gilbert and they probably wanted Gilbert and Melton, you know, in that Verlander deal. And the Astros are like, there's no shot. You're getting Melton. If, you know, if you're getting Gilbert. So they said, okay, give us Clifford or whatever. I, I, there is also a chance that they liked Melton more. And, and that wouldn't shock me either because there's, just some more upside and a lot to dream on with Melton. I think when you look at what he does and he was one of my favorite guys out of the draft, I thought that was an absolute steal to be able to get him in the second round. 
he really, I think in terms of just the tools, I don't know if people really understand how much he has going for him. He's a, an elite runner. Uh, he stole 40 something bags. Then on the flip side, he also hits the crap out of the ball to the point that I don't think he gets enough credit power wise. It was quote unquote, only 23 home runs, but a 90th percentile exit velocity of 107. And the way he sets up, he starts open. He really loads into his backside with a, with an exaggerated coil and he lets loose, man. He swings hard as hell. And I love it because it's still under control. It's controlled aggression. And he was able to produce at least average contact rates with that controlled aggression was able to really run into some power towards the end of the year, especially once he got to double a, and then really the one thing that was concerning for me was the numbers against breaking balls. He struggled against breaking balls and just non fastballs at the start of the year over his final 50 games of the season, 890 OPS against non fastballs. So that was the, the last thing I needed. And I'm like, okay, I, I love it here. I love what I'm seeing. And for a guy as fast as he, he is, who hits the ball as hard as he does, you rarely hear me talk about batted ball luck, but this guy had some bad batted ball luck. A 270 BABIP, when you hit the ball as hard as he does, and also you know are, are just hitting it in the air and run the way he does, I, I was surprised to see how low the BABIP was. I think that's something that's going to kind of rectify itself next year, and we'll see him hit for a lot higher of an average. Uh, and I think probably tap into a little bit more juice. And that in turn is going to boost the OPS. And you say, hey, what's this guy in high A and double A as a 22-year-old doing on this list when he had an 801 OPS? But the luck, like there's context there that's really important. Uh, but 46 bags and 23 homers, that's always going to be good. And that always screams top 100. The defense, too. He can stick in center, man. I don't know. There's a video I posted of him robbing a home run out in, in left center. It was disgusting. I'll show it to you after this. Uh, I, I tweeted it. So if you search like at arm late Nate, Jacob Melton, it's insane. It's probably one of the best grabs of the year. He covers a ton of ground out there. He's got an average arm so he can play all three spots. My my comp. And, you know, I only do comps unless it's uncanny. Josh Lowe. I, okay. And you know how much I loved Josh Lowe and like stuck to my guns until this year. So I'm glad he, he finally panned out, but there are so many similarities to Josh Lowe to the point where they might have to shelter him from lefties. Worst case scenario. Okay. Um, I think I think that's exactly what he can be, and that's a hell of a baseball player. You collected Josh Lowe. Will you be collecting Jacob Melton? Yes, I will be, and I think I have Josh Lowe right here. How about that? Go reach. Eh, it's somewhere over. It's somewhere over there, right under Kyle Tucker. But um, yeah, I, I did collect a lot of Josh Lowe. I don't think his values jumped a ton, but I will be scooping up some Jacob Melton because, again, I, I think that skill set. It's it, the boom is so high if it all pans out, but you're also seeing like there's a 75th percentile, 80th percentile outcome that we just got from Josh Lowe this year, which is a hell of a baseball player. It's a four one player that you shelter from lefties. Sign me up for that. For sure. Um, nice debut for Dylan Lesko. He checks in at 69 uh, right-hander for the San Diego Padres, who finished the year in high A. He had a really good stretch in low A. And Lesko, I've heard nothing but great things about who that guy is as a thinker and a baseball mind. And he just happens to be a super talented pitcher. Dylan Lesko at 69. He was a guy that I know you weren't necessarily kicking yourself for leaving him off of the last one, but he was probably 101 or 102. Um, and he finally jumps on. 
Yeah, man. You know, I, it was one of those where it's like, I just didn't see much. And we talked about that. This is what we talked about in the intro. Pretty much the mid season update was pretty much finalized in July. And, you know, we pretty much finalized that when we were in Seattle. And at that point, I had a, a couple rookie outings, rookie ball outings to work with and maybe one low A outing. If that, no, but, but his first low A outing was, was July 21st. So I, I didn't get a chance to get on the high school circuit to, to be able to see him throw and didn't really have access to much you know, out of that. And then of course I had the, the, the Tommy John surgery. So I just didn't feel comfortable putting him in a place where I was like, okay, this is what everybody else says he is. And I'll just take their word for it. Like I just, I couldn't do it. So I, I, it was annoying because I, I, it bothered me once I saw him quickly come out and in August and shove and look really good. Uh, but it was nice to be able to actually have like a, a clean slate, look at what he did in what was it like 13 appearances overall. Uh, if you combine the rehab outings and you know, see what kind of pitcher he is. I'm glad you mentioned the, the mental side of it and the makeup. And I think that's a big part of this because they obviously were very pumped to draft him. The Padres do a really good job of identifying high school prospects and maybe buying a little bit low. And this was an opportunity. This was the best arm in the, in the draft in the prep ranks and arguably one of the most talented. And he slipped a little bit because of the, the, the TJ and they found an opportunity to, to cash in there and, and get a really high upside arm still kind of shaking off some of the command woes that come with sometimes not throwing for over a year and, and a half or, or a year and change. But it got better and better as the year went on. Dude, he was throwing fastballs with 22 inches, 23 inches of an induced vertical break. Gross. So at the mid-90s, I mean, that's that's diabolical. And then off of that, guess what his best changeup is? What did I just tell you with Bubba Chandler? Basically, take what you have with Bubba Chandler and elevate it in terms of stuff and a year younger. And that's what you got with Lesko. It's higher IVB. It's same velocity. And then the changeup is even better than, than Bubba Chandler's. This is like a screwball at 80. So you're getting like 15 degree, or 15 miles per hour of separation. It's an insane pitch. The problem is his breaking ball. And this is where the makeup side comes in. It's a curveball that has 3000 RPMs. So we talk about pronators and supinators. That tells me this dude can supinate, right? Like he can spin it. It's 3000 RPMs, but it's yeah. 75 and it breaks way too much. It's a big curve that he can't land. He threw, I think it was right around a hundred of them this year and mo more balls than strikes. So I think Lesko would benefit from shortening that either a harder curveball or a slider that he, he incorporates now. And all of a sudden you got a, a dangerous three pitch mix that I think's up there with anybody. That's where it's like, okay, how coachable is he? How, how much can he learn? And, you know, and how quickly can he learn a new pitch? It sounds like from everything you've heard and, and just from what I've read and, and, conversations around Dylan Lesko, he'd be more than willing and able to tweak the arsenal and kind of find what works a little bit and turn that into a really good third pitch. And it takes a special kind of prospect to tweak something when you're experiencing a ton of success, because so many guys would say, well, it's working. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. But you can always improve. And like you don't have to wait for failure to change something. No. And look at I know Jackson a lot of Job. Yeah, Job. He never failed, but he still changed something because he knew that he may fail when he gets to the higher levels. Um, so I, I think he based on what I've heard about Dylan Lesko, he seems like the kind of guy that can go through that internal vetting process and optimize before he does experience failure, which is the goods. And that, that 
that's the makings of the better pitching prospects in baseball. Real quick, an exercise. Stop me when the Padres missed on their first round pick. Okay. 2023, Dylan Head. 2022, Dylan Lesko. 2021, Jackson Merrill. 2020, Robert Hassel. That's not a miss. They that's, used it for well, they, they cashed it in. I, they missed, I guess, but cashed it in. So yeah, it's not a thing. miss. That's no. my thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, not a miss if you cash it in. And Hassel still looks like a big leaguer that'll fill a role at some point. At some Obviously, point. yeah, he needs to work out. If, if that's my favorite team's worst miss, sign me up. Yes. CJ Abrams, 2019, 2018, Ryan Weathers. Yeah. I guess that's the 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 kind of like I came up and pitched for them. Like and that's and the thing. he's not bad. I'm gonna, Again, I'm gonna sign me going. up for that miss. Like that's your miss. 2017 Mackenzie Gore, 2016 Eric Lauer, 2016 Hudson Sanchez. That's a miss. I think we're getting like in that's what when was Preller? That's like pre-Preller, right? Yeah, I think so. But even before that, man, Quantrill in 2016, Trey Turner in 2014, Hunter Renfro in 13, Eflin and Freed in 2012. They can freaking draft for a decade. They can freaking draft, man. And and that that, that matters. It, it, it's baked into this a little bit. Yeah, I like yeah. to look at the players individually, but you know, when I really like a guy and then it's oh yeah, he's also a padre, like it makes sense. It works. Um, all right, two more guys that are making their debut here, and they come in at 54 and 55. 55 is Jet with two T's Williams of the New York Mets. Jet Williams, you, you could think that the height and weight is a typo. It's not. not. He's a short king that rakes. And Jet Williams statistically shoved himself onto the top 100. But how did he get as high as 55 for you? This was my biggest oversight, I think. Honestly, like that, that's what I would say. Uh, a combination of oversight and domination afterwards that once it came out but to answer your question i see i saw a guy that had a good swing from when i was able to see him i I caught him in person at the lower levels in the florida state league i was a good player uh Mm -hmm. struggled defensively that that day um but i like the swing like the approach super patient guy 12 percent chase rate on the year and i'm like okay this is just a more advanced high school hitter than his low level competition you know, what's it going to look like? But then we get a little bit more of a sample size. Then we see him at high A. We see him really perform there. And what stood out to me, Jack, is that he hits the ball way harder than you'd expect. This is a dude that runs a 90th percentile right around 103. And he'll run into some balls. He'll hit some balls 107, 108. And all of a sudden you're like, okay. But beyond that, hits it in the air. 35% ground ball rate. So you pair above average contact rates to borderline plus elite chase rate. I mean, he's walking with the best of them. And he joined Tamar Johnson as like the only teenager, what, since 2005 uh, to walk a hundred times in a minor league season. And then beyond that, okay, you have solid EVs. You have, I think what's going to turn into plus contact rates. You have one of the best in terms of lowest chase rates in the entire minor leagues. And then defense that continue to get better up the middle. And I think he could play center. Like he can really motor. That was the other side of it too. I don't think I realized how fast he was. I didn't get to see him really burn in person. Didn't get to get like legitimate run times there. And and he can motor, man. He's a plus runner. So I thought that side of it was interesting too. This is a guy that could be a super utility type, can plug in a center, can plug in at all these different spots. And you might look at like the double A numbers and they look a little bit crappy because they don't include his postseason. 
Yeah, and yeah. they don't include his postseason games where even though he went hitless in the postseason, or I think he had one hit in the postseason and it was a home run. He walked five times in the final three games and just kept putting together good at bats. So I just think he's super dynamic. And I would say to really wrap a bow on the question, the floor is just so high. And this is one of the guys that outside of the top 50, I'd say is one of the highest probability big leaguers, if not the highest. And he's 19 years old. He turns 20 on November 3rd. So we're talking about a high probability big leaguer in double A that's 19 years old. Yeah. Wow. What does the finished product of Jet Williams look like? Is it he stole 45 bags? Is it 30 bags with 20 homer pop? Or is he too small for that? Is it and like, hey, I'm cool fueling the fire if it makes him really good because I'm a huge fan in the early goings. Is it I'm going to hit 10 to 15, but I can I can legitimately sweep 40 at the major league level. I think he can sweep 40 at the major league level because he's going to get on base so much. I think it's more 10 to 15 homers and we'll see if he grows into a little bit more strength. But I think he's kind of maxed out physically. But when you're going to get on base at the clip that he's going to get on base at, I I think there's some like Nico Horner type to his game where he's going to be a really good defender at second. He'll run into 10 maybe 15, he's going to steal a ton of bags and he's going to walk a ton. I I, I think that's as, as close as it can get. Like Horner doesn't walk as much. That's the only thing. But I think that's the rough kind of trajectory there. Um, maybe a, a little bit less hit and a little bit more walk would be would be the, the give and take. But at this end of the day, you'll probably end up with something similar in the you know on-base department, maybe a little bit better. It's okay. Nico just got a three-year, $35 million deal. Which we think is a bargain. A big-time bargain. Yeah, He's a war accumulator. So it sounds like Jet Williams may be a war accumulator. Last one is number 54 um, with the Seattle Mariners. And much like Ramon Ramirez, I'm going to ask you, like, I know who this guy is, but can you remind people who Colt Emerson is and how is he the number 54 prospect in baseball? Another team that doesn't miss, by the way. Um, This was... I think arguably the most impressive professional debut besides Wyatt Langford. If you look at guys from this draft class and Emerson is similar to McGonagall. A lot of certain people out there had just a ridiculously high grade on him and really love the bat. Another dude that just, I think you look at the track record and in and, and the summer circuit, what he was able to do was extremely impressive. He's I think was the youngest other than was it Ty Pete that was the youngest Maybe yeah. one other guy that was younger than him. I mean, he was 17 years old the, the entire time he was playing this year, just turned 18. I love everything about the offensive profile. It reminds me so much of Colson Montgomery. Uh, and I think just a little bit more under control. He's not as big and long, so it's it's easier, maybe not as much power. But in terms of just the levers being longer than you'd expect, but still controlling them so well. I mean, if you include the postseason, 28 games, again, he was 17. 391, 500, 555 slash line, but just watching every single at bat, I could already flashing exit velocities as high as 109. And it's to all fields. He was going the other way, home runs with authority to left as a left handed hitter, hit one 390. That was just looked like he flicked it the other way. Then he hit one to left center, 412. And then he can turn around balls on the pull side. I think he can get a little bit better. He's got that slight drift as so many young hitters with longer levers do. But the fact that he's able to get away with that, we'll talk about like Delauder, a guy that just his hands work so well. He's so quick to the ball that he can get away with a little bit of that forward move. 
I just start daydreaming of what it's going to look like when he fully contains that lower half, but good contact rates doesn't chase really. I mean, already flashing some power has more room for muscle and looks like a solid enough defender. This guy's quickly become one of my favorite players from that draft class. And one of my favorite guys to watch moving forward again, another team that nails it. They nailed it on Cole young. And I think Emerson has more upside potentially than Cole young. If you look at the projection and you know what he's been already been able to do. Okay, so 2023, we're same game. 2023, Colt Emerson. 2022, Cole Young. 2021, Harry Ford. 2020, Emerson Hancock. 2019, George Kirby. 2018, Logan Gilbert. 2017, the defensive mastermind, Evan White. 2016, <laughs> Kyle Lewis. White is the miss there. Lewis wasn't a miss. He won Rookie of the Year for them yeah. in 2020. Yeah, and he's just been hurt. You know, it's like, I mean, dude, like, they're up there, too. Yeah, I I have a potential plus plus hit tool grade here on Emerson with above average pop, above average run, and good defense. <laughs> like that's elite. I'm with you though. They're they're in the gold standard range there of of drafting, and they do well in IFA too. You got to put yeah. some respect on Depoto's name and Gabby Gonzalez and a couple other guys that jump out. Yeah, really, Montes, Lazaro Montes, who just missed. Um, excited to see like Felnine Celestin finally play. I mean, of course you can talk about Julio Rodriguez. Like they've done, fun. they've done all right. Yeah. They've done pretty well. That's it, man. Those are the newcomers. And that puts us right into the top 50. So it's, it'll be fun to talk about the big climbers. Um, we'll probably mention a few of the followers in that next episode and then the superlatives as well. Jack, thank you for uh, walking us through this. It's, I know it's, it's not as much of the back and forth as we usually have. So I, you know, I like, I like usually having the back and forth, but I always love when you can walk us through the the top 100 and what stands out. Here's the thing though. I fake it anyways. So this is good because I just don't need to fake it. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's good for the audience. Uh, yeah, half, half, half the hosts fake it. And the other half like just talks too much though. So. Fake it too. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We're just, just kind of sleepwalking. Data merchant. Uh, but no, so it's, 90th percentile merchant, <laughs> but it was fun putting this together, man. It was, uh, I think a lot of moving parts over the last couple months. And, you know, I appreciate you walking us through this. I'm really pumped for the superlatives and talking about the big climbers because there's some big movement on this list as well. So go check that out. If you can't wait, look forward to talking and uh, I would say top 100 you know, movers on Wednesday. going to try to fit in a, a conversation with Graham Pauly this week, trying to line up with him and his schedule. Obviously, he's busy hitting bombs over there in Arizona, but we're confirmed just trying to work out the time. And then we'll you know have that top 10 on Friday. As always, thank you for listening. If you could leave a rating, help us grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. Check out that list linked in the episode description. We'll talk prospects with you on Wednesday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.